You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast, UFC 282. Hey everyone, welcome back to another preview podcast for the Fight Site. We are covering another UFC pay-per-view, this time UFC 282. Jan Bokovic is facing Magomed and Kalaev for the light heavyweight title as the headline er, for this card. Um, and as I found, this card wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. In fact, it's okay. Um, so I, I don't have much else to say about it. Uh, what about yourself, Fenya? I'm doing good. Uh, we're here. This is the last pay-per-view of the year, I imagine. I'm not sure, to be honest. But anyway... Um, it's a pretty decent card. Uh, main event. It's it's weird. It's a bit lackluster, but but the 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 event is fine. Should be should be fun. The fights should be fun at least. Yeah. So I, I'd say without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this card. Um, first at bantamweight, we have a fight between Cameron Simon and Stephen Coslow. Now I'm gonna save. Um, some explanation here and say that many of Stephen Koslow's fights are private and I'm unable to have seen any of them. Um, and the, the Fenyo says there was one he did find from a crowd angle so he can comment better on Koslow. So I'm kind of working with no data here personally for Koslow, unfortunately. However, I can talk about Simon a bit. So Simon strikes me as a bit of an awkward striker. He uses a lot of switches and feints, many weaponizations behind a kicking game. The main thing about him is that he loses a lot of his positioning and kind of uses things that seemingly at a high energy um, output without necessarily having a specific allocation. And to the extent that it kind of looks like he's uncomfortable, but... He likes to use his shifting to kind of read distance quite a bit, and he's at least willing to keep experimenting with his tools to figure things out. There's not too much to say other than that. Yeah, uh, the way I see Simon is that uh, one thing that that comes to attention is that um, he kicks the legs like very hard, and he's very quick, and he uses that like to to fill the gaps, but. But his game relies mostly, uh, I mean, everything revolves around like stepping with the jab and as you say, and switching too. But it's mostly like big stepping jabs. Like he he likes to fight from a long distance, steps with the jab, and then he uses the the reaction to that to set up the, the follow-up shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of his problems is that he loses stance when he throws the, the two, when he throws the one-two. But he has tricky timing, like he, he throws the jab, waits for the reaction, and then uh, uh, ends the combination with the two. And then when he starts getting like big reactions, he starts putting uh, things together, he, uh, uppercuts and hooks, and, and he's dangerous, he's athletic, and one thing is that despite like he has like a uh, very like high energy uh, style, he has very good cardio. Uh, and the power carries, carries on late. Uh, for Koslo, for what I saw in the single fight that I could find, um, he's like a he's like a shifty sopa boxer, and but he mostly like shifts to 
to set up the level changes. He likes to grab a leg and and start like chain wrestling from the from the single leg. He has good conversions from single leg to double leg, but kind of hard to tell how effective is that considering the level of opposition. And uh, from top position, he's like uh, a decent submission and controlling grappler. Uh, I like that he uses wrist control a lot from from a lot of positions, like from half guard. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he seems like a fine grappler. How good he is as a striker, it's a bit of a question mark. Uh, and yeah, I mean, very hard to predict. I mean, both guys haven't faced that that high level of opposition. I think Saima has the advantage on that. And and I think the the striking style of Simon is more has been more reliable at one thirty five, so I'm picking him by decision. Likewise, yeah, mostly because I don't have footage for Coslo to even work with, but it sounds like matchup wise, Simon's probably has more of a process going. All right, yeah. all right. So next up is men's flyweight. We have Daniel De Silva versus Vinicius Salvador. So I have a few things to say about this one. Um, so Daniel De Silva is very front foot heavy. And the main reason he's looking to do that is because he's trying to stand up pretty tall. All, but he's also someone who likes to push the aggression from the get-go. I have a hard time telling if he can crack or not, but the guys I've seen him fight have been consistently hurt or gotten their attention from some of his shots. The main thing about uh, De Silva that really stands out right away is that he's more of an enthusiastic striker than a good one, but he's constantly trying to put everything into everything. Um, As a grappler, he seems fairly decent, but on the feet, though, if there's one thing that, despite all of his efforts, weaponizing any kind of process costs him, it's his positioning. Because everyone who has beaten him has caught him standing square because he'll take himself out of position. And his head is incredibly static because he'll throw his hooks out of position as well. Um, His footwork falls apart all the time against practically everyone. But he's at his best at distance when he's firing behind said kicks. So the problem comes when the other guy steps in. Salvador um, likes to fight tall. Um... And from what I can tell, he can crack really hard. The main thing about Salvador is he's trying to be kind of a slickster, fighting tall behind his, like, pressure and, like, mostly weaponizing his reflexes. The thing about Salvador is that he's kind of a mess as far as his um, cagecraft goes, but he gets away with it a lot because he's quicker, faster, and more physical than most guys he goes against. Um, Mainly, he feints behind his lead hand and lead foot. But on the fence, he likes to wing hooks to guys at all levels, usually to their head, um, and likes to bait out counters and then punish them at times. He's got solid eyes, and he's good at like recognizing the basic like usage of his length. The problem is he gets opened up on the counter quite a bit, and although like his eyes bail him out on things, he's relying a lot upon his own speed, and so it leads to him getting hit kind of in ways like Prohoshka sort of does. Um, I would say he, he's a little reliant upon being durable as well, but that hasn't really been punished so far. And I don't necessarily think De Silva is the guy to punish him there for that. So I think 
um, just with a greater process and emphasis upon pressure and weaponizing their tools with a little more defensive acumen, I feel like Salvador is the guy I have to pick here. Yeah. I mean, talking about each guy f- from my part, uh, the thing with the Silva is that he's pretty big for flyweight. And one thing that, as you said, he's like an enthusiastic striker. He ha- he's very flawed. The, the head movement is a big problem for him. He has a very sharp right hand out of the out of the gate, and and he kicks very hard. Uh, and when he gets timing, I've seen him like uh, he can move his head, like like slip and rip or throw cross counters. But he's not very reliable at that. The thing that he he could make use of in this fight is that he's a pretty opportunistic, like sprint grapper. Like he goes for precision really quick. Um, it has backfired against uh, better grapplers before, but who knows how good Salvador is in the ground. Um, Salvador is, as you said, he tries to be like this slickster guy. Um, he's all about the, his money shot is like a left hook from his right, from his rear hand, yep. Salpa. Um, he he winks it quite a bit, but he's very good at it. it it's very, it's a very heavy punch. It, it shouldn't be, because if, if you see the mechanics, it, it, they don't make a lot of sense, but it's a very heavy punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Salvador still has like moments of like suspect defense, but he's pretty good at rolling with punches, as you said. He's very good at using his re- his reflexes out there. He doesn't have a very like deep like layer defense, but he's very good like at improvising head movement or just rolling with shots when he gets caught. Um, if it goes to the ground, maybe the Silva has an opportunity here, but I don't think the Silva is coming here with with a lot of confidence after the the losses that he has been in the past. And I think Salvador comes with the momentum, with the confidence, and and his last fight in Contender Series got got tough at times, and he was tenacious. He he showed heart. So yeah, I mean, I gotta pick Salvador. Knockout on the second round for me. Yeah, I I think it'll probably end in the first personally. Um, but that's okay. Um, I think we're in agreement though. Just De Silva's defense is kind of the deciding factor. Yeah, especially against such a big puncher. Yeah. So men's featherweights next. We have Eric Silva, not that one, a different Eric Silva. <laughs> a different Eric versus Silva. T.J. Brown, and so. I kind of discovered some issues finding some footage on Silva. And the gist of it is he seems to look for a top game pressure against the fence. Um, I wouldn't say the top game pressure is, like, significantly impressive or anything, but that seems like it's his strong suit where he tries to finish guys. Um, That's kind of all I have on him. Brown, I have a little more to say. Uh, Brown is pretty aggressive and throws with power. He's pretty active in the clinch, plays with rhythm behind his hip and setting up rear feints to get guys into the fence himself. One um, issue for Brown, though, is that his takedown defense is pretty mixed. Uh, He kind of can walk himself into the fence and guys have taken him down off the fence in an easy body lock. In open space, there's a bit more defense there, but I I think the problem for him, if Silva does get on top, is that he's pretty passive on the ground so to speak as far as i can tell um now whether or not silva gets it to the ground is another question entirely but that's kind of the big thing that i saw for silva 
Having said that, um, on, on the feet, I would guess Brown probably has a lot more experience given their number of fights and longevity over time. The one issue with Brown is that I suspect he might be able to watch his work a bit too much on the feet once he gets some success, and someone who kind of pushes the fight and makes it ugly can make him pay for that. But otherwise, this is kind of a weird one for me to call, so I don't know. What did you find, Fenyo? Uh, yeah, I mean, Silva is a weird one. Um, he's athletic and he's big, uh, but in open space, he's mostly about, like, big kicks and a lot of, like, bravado, but I'm not sure if he's, like, he's not a good striker, let's be real. I mean, I, I doubt he has a lot of depth to his game, and he hasn't felt, like, uh, like any kind of, like, good opposition. Um, when he gets to the ground, I've seen some, like, mistakes, uh, between quotes, but, but he's, like, very strong and athletic, and he has heavy ground pound, too. Um, he, he mostly goes for the Rinaki choke, and, and he relies a lot of, I've seen him on, on bottom position, and he relies a lot on, like, being, like, big and strong to, to, to make the sweeps work. Uh, but the technique is still overall, like, you can tell he's a decent grappler. But Brown himself, he's a, a very good grappler. The problem with Brown is that he's he's not very good at controlling. He's, like, too... He always ends up in, like, super scrappy scrambles. Um, maybe that plays into Silva's hands on this one. But as you said, like, as a striker, we've seen a lot more from Brown's part. And, and we've seen, like, Brown on... on very tough fights where he had to like dig deep and even if it doesn't always work like he's very like scrappy he has heart so unless Silva has like surprisingly good cardio or has made big improvements on the field especially which I don't think is very likely uh I, I think this should be like TJ's fight mm-hmm. um Silva to me looks like a front runner especially because he he wins all fights like very early and and even against like not good opposition when the fights go late, it's not that he doesn't win, but it seems like it bothers him that he's not getting like the early finish. I think Brown is just uh, a step up like too big, but maybe Brown like can make a mistake on the ground and Silva can take advantage of that. But I think would you gotta go with TJ Brown at this one? Yep, I'm picking him by decision. Likewise. And we're moving on to one of the best ones of the night, yep. I would say. Uh, so Alexander Hernandez is moving down to featherweight to fight Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo. Uh, so this is 145. So you know Quarantillo. The guy fights at an insane pace. Lots of big shots. Uh, he doesn't prove a lot. Like he throws big all the time. But he's pretty good at setting stuff up. And he's very good, all, especially at finding openings during guys' resets. That's where the Relentless mostly like pays off. He has decent power, and he carries that power late, so he's very dangerous because his gas tank is insane. Um, technically, I think he punches a bit too wide, and he's open for counters, but he can keep the pace and aggression if, he's, if he doesn't get hurt. He's very like brave, too. He can get hurt, and he will keep pushing forwards. He knows. He knows, he's a fighter that knows very well what's the kind of fight that he has to fight to win. Uh, the positioning in the clinch is not great, but he's very good at timing knees to the body and that plays like great into his game. 
and he's also like pretty good at body lock takedowns and on the ground he's a very like dangerous scrambler um keeps a high pace with passes transition ground pound so i mean he's all about the pace but he has a game like very well put together game to take advantage of that he attacks the body he kicks hard he punches hard and goes forward all the time uh Hernandez, on the other on the other hand is like somewhat of an opposite fight in some in some ways I would describe I would describe Hernandez as an athletic birds fighter. Like he has to fight in in spaces and explode in little bursts. Um, he's a decent like switch hitter. He likes to go go in and out. Oh, he's also like pretty good at reactive takedowns and grabbing body locks as well. And he's a pretty decent grappler. I mean, he's like very strong and scramble to his feet. We've seen him like scramble to his feet against dangerous guys. Um, he was not. Um, I mean, he he ended up being submitted by Moicano, but on the first round he got he got back up from from Moicano's top control, and that was very impressive. Um, I think Hernandez has good ideas overall, but he doesn't have like the depth to keep uh, the game working together if he doesn't like pull ahead early. So I think that's his biggest problem. What are your reads on this one? So. Um... I'll start with Billy Q first. So Billy Q, um, you've already covered it, is all about pace and relentlessness. I think the key to kind of most of his game is playing behind his lead shoulder as both his offense and defense. Because he'll use it, um, he's hunched over because he's coming up with many up jabs. um, And usually targets with overhands. And I'll give you a wild guess as what the first punch he landed on Shane Burgos was in their fight. But, um... The, the main thing is that when he applies that, he kind of leaves himself a little smothered, but he has very, very intelligent shot selection and timing for it, and, and he keeps the engagements going so consistently that guys are never un- really comfortable unless they're kind of working back with him or trying to outposition him continuously. He's great at uh, setting up those reset attacks, like you said. Um, where Burgos kind of got to him a bit is Burgos was kind of disrupting his own posture with kicks in between or using some jabs and body shots to kind of make resets himself. However, you kind of have to have some depth in order to do that, um, which I guess leads me to Hernandez. So Hernandez strikes me as kind of a budget Chandler, but without like the things that make Chandler really, really good. Um, in many ways, I see him kind of approaching things, like you said, as a burst fighter, as far as going like, oh, okay, I'll jump in behind like the rear hand, kind of set something up, maybe shift in as I'm coming in. But the more the thing is, Hernandez is throwing a lot of feints, and he hits pretty hard. Erd, and when he does get guys hurt or finds his opportunity, he's great at exploiting them. However, I do think Hernandez's problem is that he kind of prefers a slower fight. And whenever he's um, pushed into kind of a pace where he can't control it, where he can't really wait on the guy, or the other guy is just too durable to back off. I think that's kind of where he struggles a lot. Like, Cerrone kind of got to him with the attrition. Dober kind of got to him with the pressure a bit. Um, Moicano got to him just kind of in virtue by having enough rhythm to avoid, like, falling into Hernandez's traps. So, unless he kind of is able to back off Quarantillo early, I think it might come down to some of the grappling. And to be honest, I don't really know Billy Q's enough to comment. So, but I would suspect pace is going to be kind of the problem for Hernandez here. Plus, he's 
going down to 145. We never know how that affects things, but let's assume he's the same. It's I, I think pace is kind of the thing that makes me lean Billy Q here. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, the big question here is uh, how Hernandez looks at 145, right? I mean, he's not, like, especially small, like, 155-er. So if the cardio, like, fails him, because his cardio is, is fine when he falls apart, it's not especially because he's really tired. It's more about um, he losing, like, the grip of the fight. But if the if the cardio fails him over, the weight cut is too tough on him, he's gonna lose. But even if he looks like himself, Quarantillo is, like, a problematic matchup for him, especially because uh, Hernandez tends to get hit during resets. That's exactly where Quarantillo wears people down. Uh, Hernandez, I think, would probably look to emulate the, the Gavin Tucker fight, like trying to keep Billy Q at bay with power and timing, and timing his entries. And he will try to dissuade the pressure with reactive takedowns and clinches. He does not have the, the finesse that Gavin Tucker has, especially in the clinch, but he can take advantage of the, of the physicality, I think. Uh, I would say that's a bad victory for him, but if I got to pick, I got to pick Quarantillo by third round knockout. Yeah, I, I think Hernandez might go the distance, so I'll go Billy Q by decision. Okay. All right, so next up is middleweight. Uh, Chris Curtis is fighting Joaquin Buckley. Um, I don't really get Buckley personally. I think he his main thing on the feet is he plays around with outside foot position a lot, and he's kind of aware of it between divvying up shots between body and head. Where Buckley gets really confusing for me is his footwork is a bit all over the place, and he kind of squares up on his hooks, but he gets away with a lot of making guys back off just because he's very, very powerful oh, and really dynamic. Um, I, I don't really know what else to say about him. Curtis, on the other hand, though, Cr- Chris Curtis's strength is when they're in the pocket. You'll He'll play around with kind of defensive slips and kind of shoulder rolls, almost to create, like, his body work specifically. Um, he doesn't exactly have a really consistent jab or kicking game aim, and that's kind of um, a bit of a problem when he faces guys who are lengthy, who can kick with him, or that he can't cut off because his offensive and def- his offensive ring craft is just mixed, to say for the least, and a lot of it's just due to him lacking ancillary tools. However, once he's in proximity, he is ruthless at ripping the body consistently. And he's pretty versatile at using it, such as using jabs jabs or kind of a pump jab to set up a shovel uppercut to the body and then alternating between another one. Um, A a surprising thing I found about him is that he's deceptively strong when guys tie up with him. Um, So I think kind of the question here is, um, th- this is going to be a bit of a boxing test for Buckley, kind of. Um, I don't know how many southpaws Buckley has fought. And I have to imagine Curtis has probably had some experience with that. So the question for me kind of is, how does Curtis um, handle Buckley if Buckley starts kicking with him? And does Buckley have enough, like, depth in his arsenal to keep Curtis away from those tie-ups or, like, proximity? And based upon what I saw, I I don't really think Buckley has the tools to do that. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to Curtis, 
uh, I would I would describe him like a combination counterer. Like he's not very good at leading, but if you give him an opening, he will he will attack with volume, and I think that's like his strong his strong suit. Uh, as you said, uh, going to the body, he's very good at that, and he has like one of the few guys in MMA that has like actual good variety of body punching. He's not all, only about like one single hook, as you said. The the shovel uppercut is a it's a beautiful shot that he has. Um, uh, I think uh, Curtis is a decent kicker, but as you said, he's he doesn't have like a kicking game to take advantage. Yes, of that. big difference. Yeah, uh, but being able to kick with people, I think uh, it's going to be useful for him because, as you said, like Buckley is probably going to kick him. Uh, Buckley is very athletic, very dynamic. And one thing that he has going on for him in this matchup is that he likes to move on the outside and Curtis does not like move mobile targets uh, because he's always like resetting his feet. He has trouble with that. I mean, that's how Hermanson beat him. Even Rodolfo Vieira troubled him at times, like just moving on the outside because Curtis is so like focused on being in the pocket that he always needs like to set his feet in front of you. And that's where he gets hit more of the time. Uh, I think Buckley uh, himself is as his most successful when he remembers to dig in body shots. He he hits the body very hard, but he's very inconsistent with that. Unlike Curtis, that always makes sure to go to the body. Uh, and Buckley has surprisingly decent cardio for such explosive style, but we have to see if that holds up against uh, a committed body puncher like Curtis. I think Buckley can frustrate Curtis for sure with his mobile style, especially if he relies on darting in with the straight shots. He has a pretty good like dart with from with the right hand, um, and especially if he like remember his own body shots, because because Curtis will will stand there. I mean, one problem that Buckley has is that he has trouble like uh, tracking people that just backs up because he. He just loads up too much, and and even even though he's so explosive, for some reason he doesn't cover a lot of distance when people are going back. But Curtis, I think he will just stand his ground because that's what he wants. He wants to counter. Um, but but when Curtis stands his ground, then they're in the pocket, and I think the depth of Curtis will show its hand there. I think it's a winnable fight for Buckley. And he can always surprise with the BKO because he has huge power. Mm-hmm. But I think they'll find each other in the pocket like too frequently. And I think Curtis is a more reliable reliable fighter there and has more depth. So I'm picking Curtis by decision. Got it. I also am. All right. So another middleweight fight follows. Edmund Shabazian is fighting. I'm going to butcher this. Dolka Lukiambula. Dolka Lukiambula. Yeah, who knows. Um, so... The thing about Shabazian is he's... I, I don't really th- think there's anything particularly outstanding about his game on the feet. Um, most of what he does, he, he seems like he can do a bit of everything, but it's there's not really like a cohesive process to it. Um, and there's not exactly like an overarching like purpose to it as far as I can tell. Um, 
so that tells me, A, this is a guy who likes to fight at his own pace and timing. And that kind of means maybe he's willing to wait on the other guy a bit as far as um, deciding, okay, am I going to counter this guy or am I going to lead on this guy? And that kind of results in his ringcraft being kind of a problem. But what's even worse is probably his takedown defense because the guys who have gotten to him have really gotten him through rhythm manipulations. And that's usually what kind of doesn't help Shabazian get too far in this division, as we've discovered. Now, his opponent, though, his opponent can crack and can kick hard quite a bit. However, his he's mostly working behind the lead hand to set up the overhand continuously. And he, too, doesn't necessarily have great ring craft, but... The extent to which he gets backed into the fence at a slower pace is kind of concerning. And Shabazian has been kind of shown most comfortable with that slow pace. So I, I'm not too sure how to call this one. It's kind of one of those weird middleweight fights. But um, I feel like Shabazian kind of has the deeper toolbox. Um, and probably a little more experience on his side as far as dealing with kind of some elite competition. So it's kind of... Um, it's kind of a gut read, but I suspect his depth might be enough to get a decision or probably a KO on the counter here. Yeah, my read on Shabazian is that I would say he's at his best when he can put like combinations together with his hands because he doesn't have a lot of setups to find the combinations, but when he gets to like let his hands go, he, he has a very good combination puncher. Mm -hmm. um, he, he has very good uh, punching language <laughs> uh, he has a good variety of punches and he knows how to use them the problem is that um, he doesn't have like the, the setups and the traps to get to there consistently uh, but but even in open space he's a very powerful kicker as well uh, I, I think Shabazian is like like as you said lacks some process but he's like very technically sharp yeah that's a better way of putting offense. it yeah, he's like he he throws like most strikes with with some degree of expertise. Um, I think uh, the other thing with Shabazian is that he has decent footwork when it comes to moving around or when it comes to pressuring. He's good at staying in, in front of fighters when he wants and he can circle out. But once in the pocket, he can lose track of his positioning and and that could can that can get dangerous. Uh, Look, is not like he's going to outposition him, but he can find a big punch when Shabazian is out of position, and that that could be a big a big problem for him. But really, in a fight between two fighters with soft cardio, I gotta give the advantage to the longer and more technical Shabazian here. Uh, Dalsha can surprise with a big hook or uppercuts, especially if Fedman covers up. I mean, he relies a lot on the high guard. And if Lungenbule can find himself in top position, he can win minutes and accumulate damage because he's very heavy, especially from half guard. Half guard. He's very heavy, surprisingly. Um, he does have that judo background, so maybe he can find like a trip in the clinch or something. But still, I feel like Shabazian has the, the sizable advantage on the feet. He's a big hero himself, so... And also, another advantage to Shabazian is that he goes to the body, and we've seen Lungenbule gas in the in the past so i'm picking shabazian by second round knockout okay all right so next up is heavyweight yair rosenstruck is fighting chris Dacus. 
So I might have said this before, but I consider, or at least how I think of Rosenstruck as some alternative version of Derek Lewis at heavyweight. <laughs> so, which is probably a reductionist statement because Derek Lewis is at heavyweight. But what I mean by that is, so one thing you'll see Lewis play around with is Lewis likes to draw you backwards into traps. Rosenstruck is kind of the opposite. It with kind of the same process, bizarrely enough. So Rosenstruck wants to basically pressure you and create a setup for his counters, but he's not exactly active with that either and really relies upon the threat of his power when the reality is his toolbox isn't exactly that deep. So it results in him waiting a lot, and it kind of results in opponents who aren't that deep waiting a lot too. So where Rosenstruck gets kind of overpowered is when he runs into guys who are deeper technically than him or can physically tank his shots and just overpower him um, or just work at longer ranges. Um, there's there's not too much to say about Rosenstruck, honestly. He, he's kind of just more of a passive threat. However, I'm not too... Um, I'm not too sure Chris Dawkins is the guy who's deep enough to beat him, to be honest. Dawkins, in particular, loves to use the overhand setup, and he's totally fine taking the initiative. The problem is he's not really an active, like, out-positioner, if that's a word here. Um, yeah. So he's often caught on the counter way too many times to count, and that's kind of the issue for me because Rosenstruck, despite being limited himself... When he gets his opportunity, he takes it. So I kind of suspect Rosenstruck's going to knock him out within two rounds. Yeah, I, I got a similar feeling. Yeah, I mean, Rosenstruck is very low output. Um, one thing that he does well is like he gushes the he gushes decent with the inside leg kick. Um, but he's all about like the left hook, especially uh, the check left hook. As you said, he's all about the counter. Um, I think Rosenstruck is at his best when he puts combination together after the initial counter. He, uh, sadly, he doesn't go there very often. Uh, but he's also like dangerous with the right hand, with the right overhand and the left and the left kick against like retreating opponents. And the thing with Rosenstruck is that he's so he's so low output, but that allows him to carry power very late into fights and. He can be losing, but he only needs one because he has huge power. Uh, I think, uh, as you said, that this fight is Dawkins like getting somewhat of the Derek Lewis like test again. And I mean, Dawkins at, at his best, I think he should be able to over overwhelm Jair Senior, uh, especially with the speed and the variety, because Dawkins is one of the few like heavyweights that knows how to do a lot of stri different strikes competently, like. He can jab, he has the overhand, he has uppercuts, he has dirty boxing. And when he gets very aggressive, like, he's very effective. But I think uh, Dawkins hasn't been able to play his usual game against higher level of opposition. He looked tentative against Derek Lewis, and even more tentative against Blades. And I think this is a more forgiving matchup than those, but I, I guess that my, my feeling is that Dawkins is once again going to concede like a slow pace kickboxing fight against someone that you, you shouldn't play that game with. 
Uh, if Douglas went there crazy, like he could still get counter and killed, but he he would have a, a way better shot at winning. I don't think he's going to do that. I think Rosenstruck is going to find the left hook on the first round. Okay, so I I don't disagree. Um, so next up is bantamweight Jay Perrin is fighting Raul Rosas Jr. Um, so Perrin is, I I think, a boxer. He loves to come behind his half-steps in combinations behind the jab, specifically. Um, his ring craft is kind of predicated upon his active feints. Ain't, or like his out-positioning, as far as where his opponent is, where he sets up the half-steps and then comes in with the jab. Um... He where where he's run into trouble usually is that he's very reliant upon his kind of flurries for combinations. And although they're pretty nice, as soon as an opponent tries to counter, stands their ground, he can get countered on entry pretty consistently. And once he's put on the back foot, he doesn't have nearly the same composure as he does in neutral space or on the front foot. The question is, uh, can Roses Jr. do that? So Roses Jr likes to work behind kicks. He's incredibly dynamic in what he looks for. Um, I would call him again, um, I've said this about someone else already, but it, it kind of the t- terminology or phrase is more of an enthusiastic striker than a functional one. As in, he uses kind of the threat of his power to kind of back guys up. Um, I wouldn't say he faints a lot, though. He's more reliant upon his just actual... He's more of a doer than an actual, like, um, fainter, if that makes sense. Now, where he showed a lot of promise, though, is kind of as far as his chain grappling. Once he gets guys to the fence, he's um, pretty active at using leg grabs in order to take them into the ground and pin them. And then start working um, to set up other positions, sometimes off their back, sometimes in half guard, etc. Um, I would say the one th- issue for him on the feed in this fight is that he's a bit... He has his preference behind range. Um, and he's open on the counter. Though it's kind of a question of how much do you trust Perrin um, to really have that ability to close that gap. And then you also have to ask yourself, is Rosas Jr. Um, a better grappler than Jay Perrin? And that's kind of a matter of, like, how experienced do you think Perrin is versus Rosas is promise? So, And that's not really my place to say because I'm not a grappler person. So what do you have to say about this fight, Fenyo? Yeah, I think you, you're right on the money on Perrin. Especially one thing that I also noted uh, when watching tape is that he can get countered during combinations. Not sure if that's going to matter here. I think he, if it goes into combinations, Perrin has like a, a should have a big advantage. We we haven't seen uh, Rosas in any kind of like prolonged like striking affair. Now I think in this fight, like the UFC is obviously trying to get their hot young prospect uh, Rosas, who is 17 years old, the win here. Uh, Perrin is not very big or physical and doesn't have the, the one-punch knockout. Uh, but I think he's still a lip dog here. Um, he has way more experience than Rosas for once. Um, and he's good everywhere and can fight well deep into fights. Uh, even when they're, they're not going his, uh, his way. Like, for example, in his last fight against Orishi Lang, 
um, he was clearly losing that fight, and then he was he started nailing originally very late, and that was a, a very good show of of heart and cardio, but but also of craftiness because he he started finding counters in in places where he was the one getting hit earlier. Um, I think this is a very interesting test. Oh, I think it's almost impossible to predict, uh, like very well informed here because we've only seen Rosas dominate fights. Uh, in the Contender Series fight, he got like out scrambled a few times, but he always like ended up on top. Uh, he always ended up winning the the more meaningful like uh, grappling exchanges. I think Perrin can win this one um, if he has uh, he he fights the right fight. But fighting the right fight here means like moving away from his usual style a, a little bit. And usually I don't like to trust fighters doing that, like fighting out of type. Mm. Even when it's as obvious as don't let the wrestler take you down. I don't like to trust that very much. I think uh, they will find themselves in the ground too often. And I think Rosas uses his grappling to win a unanimous decision. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of thought about that to Perrin kind of has to close the gap quite a bit and that's kind of one of the things for me because that's consistently where he's very vulnerable and the range is going to factor in for Rosas Jr. So yeah, I, th- I think Rosas Jr. takes a decision here. So we're moving on yep. to maybe the best fight of the card. <laughs> so we are at featherweight is Thug Nasty Bryce Mitchell versus Ilya Topuria, El Matador. Oh, what are your reads on these guys, Dan? So, um, Mitchell operates as a um, top control grappler with a bit of an emphasis upon his um, chain wrestling and uh, his pressure. Specifically, um, one of the things that surprises most people about Mitchell is that he kind of cracks a bit hard or at least gets guys' attention pretty consistently. And he's gotten better as time got has progressed at leading guys on with front kicks to the body into like his rear hand quite a bit to get them to the fence consistently. He doesn't have a particularly deep distance game, but he has like a functional idea of what he's doing on top. Again, this isn't really my strength, but he's excellent at kind of keeping guys like down. I wouldn't say he's like mauling on them, but he's pretty consistently there and he never really tires himself. And he's pretty scrappy, too, if the fight gets pretty hectic. Um, yeah, so I, I've seen some couple of fights he has um, where things have gotten a bit not quite his way. And he's still pretty consistently in that fight until the end. Taporia is um, Taporia is a really, really dynamic um, boxer puncher. He's... The one issue Taporia has is that he can kind of follow you instead of cutting you off. But once he's on you, he that's where he shines. And he has an excellent sense of distance. He's ruthless on the counter, and he's great at pivoting into his offense. Um, his body attack is basically his like patented greatest strength at this point. That should be obvious. Um, I do think his check hook is probably his best punch, specifically his lead check hook. Um, he, he's basically a dynamo as far as shot selection, and he's a huge hitter, or even up to lightweight, so to speak. Um, he's, he's a little tricky to hurt, too, even though, like, Herbert nearly finished him with that head kick. 
Tuporia recovered pretty quickly. Um, his issues on the feed is, I, I think, one, I suspect this instead of being able to prove it, but I do think Tuporia might be one of those cases of the best offense is the best defense. And although he gets away with it because he's a dynamo, um, I do suspect there might be a case of he might have a set pace that um, will wear himself out by the very end. But, um, such as his fights versus Zalal and Herbert, kind of saw some defensive linearities on the back foot and getting tired as the fight went on. However, um, he's... I don't see too much um, on the feet, maybe from Mitchell, outside of that counter and positioning. That's kind of the issue here. As a grappler, uh, has looked pretty solid. Um as far as avoiding tie-ups and even takes risks by taking back and even going into a guard. Even though Ryan Hall, he smashed him on top, getting on top of Ryan Hall and avoiding those leg locks maneuvers still shows you have to know what you're doing. So the the difference, though, is that Mitchell's a very different kind of grappler than Hall. He's not as like dangerous, but he's probably a lot stronger. So I think this fight's kind of a matter of like ring craft quite a bit, like... Can Mitchell get him to the fence for those tie-ups? Or is Tuporia going to like make this a really, really scrappy affair on the feet? It's a, it's a hard fight to call all, honestly, and that's what makes it really interesting. Yeah. Uh, when watching Tape, I'm always surprised because I, some somehow I forget, but Mitchell is pretty decent on the feet. Like, like I, I wouldn't like say, like okay, learn to strike watching. Uh, he surprises Mitchell, people. Yeah, and, and he has power, he has decent timing, and technically he's not bad as as a lot of other grapplers. So it could get interesting if he starts like uh, getting like uh, outside foot position against Topuria. Um, because he can crack with the left hand and he has decent kicks. I would say Topuria is the better wrestler on this one, but but maybe Bryce can like wear on him with his size. Uh, as a grappler, like Mitchell is like very suffocating from top position. Uh, he uses a lot of like wrist rights, and he has a very interesting like flow shirt. For example, with the arm triangle to make you turn your back and then uh, threaten with the rear naked choke, then go go back to the arm triangle. Uh, the transitions are very solid by Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell can be outstruck. I mean, we've seen him like have dicey moments on the feet against uh, Philly, especially, uh, and also in his fight against Bobby Moffat, who's not that great. Uh, very good grappler, though, so there was that to compensate. Um, I think uh, another thing, other than the ringcraft and what happens, as you said, is uh, if Topuria can like. Uh, keep Mitchell off him when if the fight goes late, because as you said, Mitchell has very good cardio. He can do his thing uh, for all three rounds. And Topuria usually to to win the decision wins to to be pulling ahead by a quite a big margin. I still think Topuria would have an advantage on the feet, and I think he's a better wrestler than Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell is tricky, uh, but he has like that kind of like jiu-jitsu style wrestling more than than like uh, an open space mat wrestling um, he's more 
about tie-ups and we saw Topuria is pretty good at uh, like keeping the clinch exchanges on his own terms and denying uh, tie-ups when he doesn't want them to. So I got a favor Topuria here, but it's very hard to predict. Yeah. I think Mitchell, if Mitchell can start like, I don't know, like maybe finding like body kicks and start like tiring Topuria and then get top position. I think, uh, I think he can really outgrab her Topuria uh, from top. Topuria can also like maybe like take Mitchell down himself because he's heavy from top position and he's the better wrestler as I said so it's interesting all around I don't think I think people are expecting Topuria to watch Mitchell on the feet I think he has a clear advantage but I I don't think it's it's as simple as that and on the ground I think uh, Topuria can compete but also Mitchell is very dangerous yeah I um yeah, I, I do lean to Poria because he seems like the more promising fighter. But yeah, I, I think this is a very, very competitive fight and it's going to look like it. Yeah, I think I think this, even if Topuria wins, I think this will look a lot more competitive, especially on the feet than people think. I'm going Topuria by decision tentatively here, but I think this is a very good fight and a very interesting one. Likewise. So what's next? Um, 185. Darren Till is fighting Drikus Duplessis. Um, Fenyo, this time I want you to lead off. So in this fight we have uh, Darren Till, who is making his comeback here. Uh, he hasn't fought since losing that fight to Derek Bronson. That was, was pretty funny, if we're honest. And his, so Till. Uh, Till is a, a southpaw. That's, that's very important for him. Uh, he's all about like finding setups for the big left hand. He's very quick with the left hand. He can. He has a few setups for for it. Um, he doesn't. He hasn't. He he's not very consistent with the jab. Even though he has like a mechanically very good jab, he should use more often. But but he can close distance very quick with the one two. Uh, it opens space. Uh, he's very low output. He's a good kicker, but doesn't doesn't kick a lot for some reason and and the kick defense can be a little bit inconsistent sometimes it's very easy to kick him on the on the lead leg because he stands heavy on it another time he's like very good at defending kicks he he defended kicks pretty well against Whitaker I would say uh on the clinch he has quite a few tricks and that's where that's where, I mean, people make fun of uh, Darren Steele, like, Muay Thai background because he fought on Brazil or whatever, but you can tell he has spent some time in the clinch. He's pretty good at pivoting in the clinch, fighting elbows, or finding space for knees. He's pretty decent there. Um, the thing with Till is that he's, he's very limited with his tools, but he has a lot of applications for them. Uh, for example, the Gastelum fight was pretty interesting because he fought on the back foot, like, he fought as a committed, like, outfighter, and it worked, worked pretty well. He used the clinch very well to dissuade the pressure, and he, like, picked his spots and attacked from there. Um, but at the end of the day, he saw about the left hand, finding uh, the openings for the left hand. He has a few uh, variety, I mean, the... The straight left is his money shot, but he also has like, like uppercuts and, and elbows from the from the rear side. 
Um, but that's like Teal's game. Um, you described him to me like somewhat of a like knockoff McGregor, and people were saying that first, and then people got got mad at people saying that. But I think it's accurate to some degree, especially when it comes to like revolving your game about such a singular te technique that is the stri the straight left. Uh, Duplessis, on the other hand, is kind of a mess. He's very athletic and powerful. Uh, but the thing about Duplessis is that he throws himself out of position all the time. Um, he's better in the counter because he can... He sets his feet when he's trying to counter and he can counter hard with both hands. He has huge power. Um, he wings the punches a lot though. Uh, at open space, he's all about like kicking and flooring in, and when he flurries, he like shifts his feet. It's a mess, but he's so powerful that he makes it work somehow. And uh, he's also like an okay grappler. He, I think, he's very good at using his his athleticism um, to his advantage when it comes to grappling. And the surprising thing about the place is is that he has very good cardio, and, and I don't know how because. He used so much energy all the time, but when he's, he tires, like he settles down and he starts fighting like a bit better. Um, I think Duplessis is like very limited technically. Um, it's it's a, very, a different kind of limitation than, than the one that Teal has because Teal is a very like technically correct uh, in what on the things he does, but he doesn't always applies them consistently. Duplessis, on the other hand, is like, he has these tools that are a mess, but he knows what to do with them and how to exploit uh, what the opponents are giving to him. I would, th I would say that it's a very big contrast between both styles. How do you think do how do you think they clash? So, to be completely honest, I'm going to jump ahead and say what my conclusion is, and then I'm going to say why. I think Durantil is going to knock Duplessis out on entry, specifically um so there there's a couple of things so uh, to jump off the kind of comparative you told earlier that i make about darren till being kind of like a conor mcgregor it's true they're very very similar fighters as far as kind of like setting up the lead hand sorry um as kind of a smoke and mirrors tool for the rear hand yeah. as the main weapon um, Till isn't as versatile a boxer as Conor McGregor is, and doesn't have as versatile of, as a, a lead hand, or as a pressurer, or even as, quote, a kicker. But what Till does have is probably a more active lead hand than Conor McGregor does. And specifically, Till loves to mess with the pump feint, with the jab, where he'll threaten with the jab multiple times, kind of give half-committed jabs, and then fire the straight um, left down the pipe. And he constantly catches guys with this, with the th initial threat, because um, he's so lengthy, and sometimes that kind of uh, messes with guys' rhythm quite a bit. Where Till really, really surprises guys sometimes are, is when they leap in on him on the counter, and he's great at tagging them behind that. Um, I would say that one of the more deceptive tools Till has is that, like, when um, he... When his opponent tries playing the counter game um, with him too, if his feints start working, he'll draw them into a slower pace where he can kind of um, operate in bursts sometimes. And that's where he can really mess with their rhythm quite a bit. 
Um, one thing I do think would help Till a lot is if he went to the body more often with his punching. Um, he does surprise people a lot off the breaks, specifically with the underhooks and clinches. Um, or just kind of tagging them upon entry, such as he did Whitaker a bit. The Whitaker's kind of weird, because Whitaker likes to set up things at distance, then come in. So that kind of played, surprisingly, a bit into Till's game. Now, th that kind of leads me to my next thing. I think Till is is kind of a bit of a matchup-dependent fighter. Because for what it's worth, Brunson is probably one of the division's better chain wrestlers. And, like, he consistently kind of kept Till down, mostly. Until Till's, like, game finally got to Brunson a bit. Because Brunson usually panics when guys threaten him enough on the counter. Um, and he did have Brunson hurt, and then he kind of just messed up because he tried to hit them instead of, like, looking for the underhooks. But consistently, Till, like, when Till usually cracks guys, he usually gets their attention or hurts them pretty continuously. Um, so where Duplessy is, has an enormous amount of trouble here is the amount of times I have seen that guy countered by a straight or blasted with a straight behind his stiff guard is frankly <laughs> really worrying versus someone like Till. And he has an incredibly stiff guard, Duplessy does, and his ringcraft is also kind of a mess himself because he doesn't really think about positionings too much. He kind of relies upon his athleticism to bail him out of situations. He, he constantly will throw himself out of balance, and that is like both on the front foot and back foot, that's kind of some of the scarier things versus Darren Hill. Now, I, I don't quite know how tie-ups will work if those show up, so that's probably his answer here. But, yeah, I would be a little concerned with Duplessis on the counter quite a bit, so I think Till will probably knock him out um, maybe late into round one or early round two. Yeah, I think I think Tavares had, had on the first round, like, way too easier time countering uh, Duplessis, and that's not his game at all. And that's why I, I always talk about fighters, like having to fight the right fight because Tavares was fighting the right fight and then he fell apart because that's not his style. I think for Till, it's, it's his style to do that. And I think he won't have much trouble like out positioning Duplessis and just cracking him over and over again. I don't think that's the kind of fight that will complicate him much. Uh, I think one thing that makes me nervous for my Till pick is that maybe his confidence is like on down the drain and if he starts like falling apart, Duplessis is like not good in the classical sense, but he's good at winning. So he might find uh, those ugly shots and put him out if he starts like doubting himself but if we go like technique by technique and matchup uh, i think we, you gotta go with two on this one yeah i i honestly think the brunson fight kind of went the way it did work as brunson was a hard matchup for till as opposed to any like severe degradation of skill to be honest he was still except, like... except for the ending the ending was just a fuck up yeah <laughs> yeah the ending was fucked but but he still got to, like, win a lot of moments against Bronson. I mean, he was kicking his ass before the before the finish on that, on that last round. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think Teal is done yet. I mean, his last two performances, the Bronson was a little bit worrying. But against Whitaker, he looked pretty good. If he shows up like that 
like like that in this fight, I think it's an easy fight for Will. Agreed. For um, next fight then, um, is wait a second. I didn't know Ponzinibbio was still on this card. Oh, he's, he's fighting, fighting Alex here. Morono now. Huh. Yeah. Okay, I'm definitely not prepared to talk about Morono, but I can talk about Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh, um. Okay, so Ponzinibbio's main thing is um, he likes to actively feint behind the jab and level changes at the same time, um, and specifically punch around opponents' guards. He doesn't mind weaponizing both straights and um, feints for that. He'll hook around guards quite a bit, um, or he'll target the straight down the pipe if the guard's pretty static. Um... He's pretty consistent at punishing um, taller posture fighters with the overhands or setups. He struggles when the other guy is typically a better athlete, um, and he's pretty consistently backed up if he can't get something going. He's an avid kicker, um, and usually guys with bad kick defenses struggle with him, but if he doesn't have a lot of kick defense himself, so he's one of those guys. Um, he's pretty open to check hooks when he bounces in just cause his footwork is reliant upon that level change threat so much. I don't recall studying Moreno before. Um, the last I remembered Moreno is kind of a clubber as far as a puncher, but don't take my word for it. I don't remember. No, I'm pretty sure we talk about Moreno against Simmelsberg. I sincerely don't remember how he fights besides oh, no, that. Maybe, maybe I did that alone. I don't, I don't yeah. remember. Anyways, uh, what do you got to say here? Um, I think this this fight should be a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, uh, Ponsinibio, his prime, would have a field day with Morono, but he's clearly not on his prime anymore. Uh, Morono is like himself in his prime, I would say. He's riding four, a four-fight win streak. Uh, Morono is... Morono is a lot of good ideas with like janky execution. Like you can tell he bounces, he tries to close distance with the jab, or set up kicks when fighters are trying to get out of range, and then puts combinations together, goes to the body. Um but the technique is not very pretty. Uh, Morono like winks his shots a lot. Um the kicks are a bit janky mechanically too, but he has decent pop. And and he approaches fights uh, intelligently, I would say. For example, against Cerrone, he knew out of the gate that he had to pressure immediately, and he did. Um, he figures stuff out uh, a lot of the time against Mickey Gall. Uh, he never like allowed him to set up his his straight shots. He always denied him with the uh, with the guard with the head movement. Um, so Morono is is a I would I would say it's a very it's a very smart fighter, uh, despite how limited his physical tools are. It's not that he's like incredibly unathletic, but I think like Ponsinibi is the better athlete than this one. Um, so one thing to to keep an eye on here is how the leg kicks go because Ponsinibi, as you said, like not great uh, kick defense. But but good leg kicks himself. Uh, I I would say Morono probably better defending kicks because he has like 
he has he's like light on his lead foot a lot of the time because he likes to set up like the switch kicks and stuff like that. Ponsinibio is very very heavy on the front foot. I I would expect Morano even with the short notice to go go heavy on the leg kicks, but Ponsinibio has the has the jab as an answer. I'm, we we usually see the leg kicks being an answer to the jab, but the the contrary can also be be true. It's all about timing, and I think Ponsinibio is very resourceful with that, and he's also actually very good at finding uh, right hands of leg kicks as well. Mm-hmm. So interesting to see how the the shin holds up both ways. I think Ponsinibio like got knocked out by by the leash with that left hook on the entry, as you said. Yep, that's exactly but, what happened. But other than that, his shin has looked very solid. I mean, he spent like 15, uh, 30 combined minutes exchanging blows with, with Jeff Neal and, and Michel Pereira. So hmm. the shin got to be there, right? <laughs> True. Uh, Morono, we've seen being surprised by big power before. Uh, Anthony Petty surprised him with his speed. And Chaos Williams, like, knocked him out cold. Ponsinibio, uh, not as dynamic as Pettis and not as powerful as Chaos Williams, but he still has, he can crack with the right hand. He's he's crafty with with the overhand setups. Uh, I would say Ponsinibio would be wise to pressure here to dissuade the kicks a little bit. And Morono should sell out on on the leg kicks and try to find, like, Kicks overall, and then try to like dart in in Posinibio, make him lead, and then try to catch him with the with the check hook that Morono is also pretty decent at landing. Um, it's hard to tell. I mean, this being so short notice, I tend to favor Posinibio, but but with the place they are both in their careers right now, I think it's a very it's a very compelling matchup. I think Morono is a very live dog here. But I'm picking Ponsinibio by decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I obviously can't pick this fight. Um, but but you know what I can talk about? It's time for me to do the thing that I have never wanted to do. That's right, gang. I have been forced to watch Patty Pimblet footage. Um, so our co-main event is a 155 lightweight bout between Patty Pimblet and Jared Gordon. So Pimblet. Um, immediately I saw Pimblet as very, very aggressive. Um, mostly he seems like he literally is a quintessential guy who likes to brawl, but without any of the tendons to like reinforce that kind of range to start brawling with guys. So what happens is on the feet, I have yet to see him throw a functional jab, mostly and there's not exactly a threat at kicking range at all. So what happens a lot is he'll throw like some of the weirdest shovel uppercuts off of winging hooks I'll ever see, especially when the other guy is hurt. And he kind of gets away with it because he's scrappy. Um, I don't really get what his process is on the feet other than looking for kind of the shot and like throw when he's under duress. Um, at distance, he's not exactly an active fighter. He'll try an entry, but he'll then suddenly lose his positioning. Um, or he'll kind of just spam the left and then come behind the two right afterwards. And 
it's kind of predictable for every guy who's fought him so far to recognize, oh, he's going to come behind the one, the one again, there's the two, oh, there's the one, there's the two again. And, and that's pretty consistent. Um, his ring craft and mechanics are, there's no nice way to say it, they're kind of a mess, to be honest. And especially because he wings everything, he throws himself out of position so often. And he gets backed and pinned to the fence really, really often. His grappling is decent, actually. And it's probably actually his strongest suit because he has like some positional knowledge of what to do with grips, especially. But then I sometimes see some really weird things where he'll decide to pull guard behind overhooks, which confuses me sometimes. But <laughs> otherwise... Um, he, he's definitely not as bad as I expected, but at the same time, I don't know what the hell he's doing on the feet. Um, on the other hand, I know exactly what Jared Gordon's doing on the feet. So, Gordon's main bread and butter is that he likes to feint and counter behind his level change. Um, and primarily, he's kind of comfortable with kind of most of the ranges, but especially neutral. Um, and he's pretty active consistently. Um... I think Gordon's thing is that he's very, very good at his best at the counter. Like, I've seen him active in the clinch. Um, I, I've seen him a bit active pursuing takedowns against the fence. And he has a really good, good eye, um, mostly informed by experience, for kind of reading, like, where his positioning's at according to his opponents and kind of, like, having some purpose behind his striking. He doesn't exactly have uh, an active kicking game himself, but he's good at catching, like, single-layered attacks and countering them accordingly, or reading counters from his opponents. Where Gordon struggles is that um, he's not great when the fight starts getting more scrappy, or when it gets very layered or transitions are involved. He's, he's good at responding um, and having an answer in just about every situation, but he often reads things as a single engagement instead of, like, a cohesive thing. So, oftentimes, it'll be like, oh, this is striking mode, and then suddenly grappling gets introduced. And that also leads me to kind of conclude he's sometimes content with the opponent's face. Sorry, pace. Um, but Gor Gordon definitely strikes me as a very, very schooled fighter. He's not the fastest in the world, but he's a pretty well-schooled fighter. And so, the the problem for Pimblet in this fight is there's kind of actually, despite having both... Both of them have a very similar number of fights. There's kind of a big experience gap. And that's kind of where Gordon has the edge here. So it's kind of a matter of, um, does Gordon make the right decisions in the exact moments to get things done? And that's about kind yeah. of all I have. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that plays in favor of Gordon is that he has faced similar matchups not long ago. Um, he fought Joe Salaki to a split decision win, and then he fought Grant Dawson in a fight that he was taking over, and then he got submitted. So, where do we put Paddy in between Grant Dawson and Joe Salaki? And I think, if I had to say, I mean, obviously, all three are different fighters, but there, there are obviously some commonalities that we can take a look for this fight. And I would say Paddy Pimblet, I would sit right in the middle. Of Joe Soleiki, I mean, 
he's clearly like more athletic than Joe Sulecki, even though he's not as technical, I would say. But he's not the uh, he's not the physical force that Grant Dawson is. But at the same time, Paddy Pimblet Paddy Pimblet has in his favor is that he has enormous confidence in himself, and even though that might sound dumb, uh, it can it can matter a lot. Uh, I think Pimblet will have a speed advantage, but on the feet. But I think Gordon can figure figure that one out. I think the pro I think one thing that makes me tentative for Gordon here is that another case of having to fight the right fight here I think he should try to to avoid grappling uh, with Pimblet unless he finds like a very easy takedown for himself. I don't think he should scramble with Pimblet not because he cannot win his that fight. Uh, Gordon is a very solid grappler himself. Because he should give himself the the easier path to victory by just standing on the feet. Uh, Pimblet is dangerous early, not because he has any like good technique, but because he can swing very very hard and he has confidence on his power and on his chin. Uh, Pimblet probably more durable than Gordon. I mean, he has been cracked, but he recovers fast. He has very good. I don't know where his cardio is right now. We've seen him like gas on the past, like very long ago. But his cardio has looked decent on the UFC so far, even though the fights haven't been very long. Um, I don't know, man. I think Gordon has all the tools to beat Paddy Bad, but I'm not sure. I I really want to trust him, but I don't know why I can't. I think he he will give Paddy the fights he wants, and Paddy will take advantage of it. <laughs> Of the few areas where he's best, here, here, I think here's where I, I here's where I have one like disagreement. Although Gordon does concede to other opponents' fights a lot, again, what exactly is Pimblet's process on the feet? If you because I have no idea what he's trying to do half the time, and so, and a lot of the grappling situations I've seen him in are kind of like kind of defaulted to kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, we're grappling now. Okay. And that's kind of my my thing. I think if Gordon was fighting someone who had a bit more focused of a process, I, I can see the problem there. Yeah. But I don't really trust Pimblet's quote, process enough that I can pick him here. And that's kind yeah, of me. Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, yeah. I think you make a good point there because it's for... For as much as Pimblet is as his best when grappling I don't think he has any, he hasn't been starting the grappling in their fights I mean against Bendramini he was all on the feet and then against Vargas I think Vargas went for a takedown or something I don't remember but I, then against Levitt Levitt was looking for the tie-ups there so so yeah I mean you're right you're right uh, Paddy doesn't have the process to trouble Gordon in that way. Yeah, I think, I think... Don't get the wrong idea. I don't think Gordon cracks hard enough to, like, put him out, but I, I also don't think Pimblet has, like, the experience or, like, guile to, quote, like, give Gordon anything yeah. he hasn't seen before outside of, yeah, like... Yeah, Pimblet would, would have to catch him early. And that's possible, but obviously, like, that's not the... the 
the most obvious yeah. thing to happen. I mean, Gor- Gordon's known young fighter, but it's like he still is like well schooled in his own ways, and he's well schooled and he has experience against this kind of matchup. So yeah, I think you saved me. Um, I'm go. I'm going against my my gut, and I'm picking Gordon by decision. Yep, no problem. All right. Um, let me see. So, main event for the light heavyweight title, um, because Yuri Prohoshka did something insane. We don't know what. We will report or as the first. According, according to Dana White, uh, his shoulder popped out on the gym, and then his training partners tried to put him back in, and then they ripped the whole shit. <laughs> huh. I mean, it's less crazy than all the meme culture stuff anyone could come up with. So, and thankfully you saved me because I couldn't come up with a joke fast enough. All right. So, anyways, um, Jan Blokovic, the former champ, is taking on a guy many people think will be the champ, Magomed and Kalaev. Um, I would say as far as, like, fight quality, I don't think this one is specifically, like, really good or will play out to be really good. But in context of light heavyweight, it's an interesting fight to make. Yeah, um, sure. So, I think... Um, do you want to start off with this one, or do you want me to start off? No, you go ahead. Okay. Um, starting with Blakovitz. So, Blakovitz, um, I think the main thing about understanding Jan is that he really likes to operate at a neutral and kind of longer range. Um, and he's surprisingly strong at light heavyweight with his range defense, especially his kick defense. Um, even a versatile kicker like Israel Adesanya struggled to really get through that. Um, and primarily one of the things that Blakovic has really, really honed in on as his career has gone on is playing behind his lead hand. Che- and as a check hook, his left hook is definitely his favorite punch, and he loves to pull with it defensively. Um, the thing about... Uh, Lukovic is that he's very, very patient and measured at range. Um, at his best, he's very minimalist and simple with what he does, but he understands, like, against, like, layered strikers, okay, I'll have to slowly come forward, put the threat of my physicality and, like, check hook in your face, and then guard your kicks at range. Um, Adesanya is his best performance because it's basically a ver- uh, case study in being practical, don't, but it's also like understanding like where Blackhovitz's patience kind of pays off. Um, he shows a lot of willingness with the hand fight and parry into the counter in that fight. Um, and I think like the the other thing that really really matters is that he Jan is surprisingly good at avoiding longer or exchanges, but he's not bad in them himself because I don't really think there's a better pocket boxer at at this division than him most likely. Um, but he also showed some good looks with Reyes too. So he showed um, a good idea behind his body kick game um, to wear down uh, Reyes at distance or to punish his resets continuously. Um, he plays with rhythm a lot with his feints, his jabs, or his counter hooks. Um, he kind of uses his subtle feints kind of against guys to kind of give them an expectation that he'll do more and then surprise them with a jab. Um, Unfortunately, though, despite all these good things, um, he's still pretty open on the counter, Blakovic is, and 
he's um and he still has that blitz mechanic that he sometimes defaults to that gets his encountered. And if there's two big weaknesses Blakovich still has, besides well being pretty old at this point, it's um that open on the counter being backed up into the fence sometimes. And well his takedown um defense is kind of a mixed bag. In open space it's shown some improvement, but against the fence it's a disaster at times. Um so and Kalayev. Um and Kalayev likes to play a very, very similar like slow paced game too. Um he has decent ring ideas and likes to play with rhythm. Um his check hook off his lead hand is also his favorite punch, and he likes to tie it into the two. And you can tell he has, like, measured ideas with his footwork, counters, and checking. And he's very good at measuring one layer enough to just punish things. Um, the one thing that I've seen Ankaliyev struggle with is against, like, layered exchanges. Krylov kind of mixes things up with double threats and kind of keeps him, even with his back to the wall, off of him consistently. Um, I think, I think this is kind of, um, a weird fight to call because both guys like to operate at kind of that low output pace, ace and set things up at distance. I think Ankalaev, um, does it with a lot of the idea of checking to see what things work and then setting up a trap, whereas Blokovic's kind of is a little more moment to moment, as far as his successes on the feet. So on the feet, it's going to be a little weird and kind of interesting. I think Blokovic actually has the upper hand with his pressure, though him being open to the counter is kind of dangerous versus Ankalaev's um, straight left. Um, the ground is kind of where I think this fight kind of tips in Ankalaev's favor because um, Ankalaev is pretty active on top. Um the one problem with Ankalaev is he doesn't really look for takedowns immediately too often, or is at least really inconsistent about it. So, weird fight, but kind of compelling. Yeah. Um, on the feet, as you said, it's very interesting. Uh, probably a fight between the best two guys at defending kicks in the division. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Ankalaev showed a lot of vulnerabilities to kicks on his fight against Krylov, but then against uh, Anthony Smith, they, they exchanged kicks a lot, and Ankalaev, I think, showed an improvement in defending kicks. I think he injured uh, Smith with a with a cross check. That was pretty cool. I mean, not cool that he injured Smith, obviously, <laughs> but it's a cool technique to see. Uh, I think they're being kind of a mirror match. I think that's that plays a little bit into the southpaw always, in my opinion. Um, and the southpaw is Ankalaev, by the way. Um, I think Jan should not blitz a lot on this fight. That should, that should That's probably dangerous. That's how Ankalaev killed Iwan Kutalava. Obviously, Jan a lot better than, than Kutalava there, but, but still dangerous. I mean, that's how... Young himself got knocked out against Thiago Santos uh, with a check hook. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. On, uh, on the feet, it's interesting. Uh, I think Jan should should kick and look to jab. I mean, 
kind of fight that he fought against Adesanya is something that he should try to replicate here. I, I, did, um, I, that... I if I may, like, um, I don't think it's just the Adesanya fight. I think the Reyes fight for Jan is really instructive because in that one, he was often punching off of his kicks or, like, he would kind of fire his lead kick it under uh, Reyes's lead elbow and get there quite a bit when Reyes had to reset or reposition. I do think that's yeah. a pretty good route for him versus Ankalaev. Yeah, I think... I don't think Yan should try to have a fight like he had against um, Rakish. I don't think that was a very good look. I mean, he was winning that fight, but the, you don't want to have like those kind of like super close rounds because those are always up in the air to someone landing a bigger punch. Um, I think he needs to be a, a little bit more proactive, have a bit of a higher output here. And... And the thing is that Yan should limit the should limit the blitzing because he puts himself out of position for counters and also for takedowns. As you said, Ankalaev lately has not been a very active fighter uh, wrestler, but when he tries to wrestle, he's effective. He I was rewatching the Thiago Santos fight, very dull fight by the way, but but when Ankalaev decided to close in on the clinch, he has th- very good throws. And we've seen Jan fall apart against grapplers in the past, so that maybe uh, maybe a path to victory. And Kalaev's cardio seems fine in all the fights that he has been in. I thought he was tiring against Santos, but then he ended up winning the the last rounds of the fight. Um, if anything, Jan should push uh, like a Jan needs to push uh, a high pace. But be careful about it, especially with the blitzes, yeah. in my opinion. So, I, um, what, what, one do you thing... Think the, do you think the grappling... Uh, do you think Uncle Ayev relies on grappling here? I think... Uh, I we think usually he should. See, we usually see more grappling in five-round five, in five fights because, like, the fights start to drag and then guys tend to go to, like, plan B and plan C... And I think that can play in favor of Uncle Live here. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think wrestling is kind of the thing that tips this fight in Ankalaev's favor because it's such like a weird, like hot and cold thing for Blakovitz to deal with. So, and kind of um, both guys' stand-up games kind of feed into each other weirdly um, enough. But so you kind of have to ask them like to do something differently. And so I think, like, Blakovitz were kind of asking him to, like, oh, you're ha- we're having you do, like, more activity kind of behind your feints and weapons. Whereas with Ankalaev, we're kind of just saying, you should pressure or wrestle or, like, take advantage of his positioning things. And one of those routes seems a lot easier to go to than the other. Um, so I think it's going to play out a little weird. It's kind of depending upon how kind of fickle both guys are as far as doing certain things because there's still kind of no rhyme or reason whenever Jan does his like blitzes sometimes yeah um so I, I feel like just Ankalaev's like you need to do this to win kind of being the better like decider if for the lack of a better way to say this is kind of what tips yeah. me to thinking he will and I'd say probably and also it's it's a more simple thing to do, like yeah, exactly. Like Jan needs to 
if if Jan wants to be decisive, he needs to like change things up. Uh, while Uncle Ive just needs to like grab a clinch and go for a takedown. Yeah, and, and I do. Th- and I think they'll they'll have like a lot of close rounds, and maybe like Uncle Ive can steal one of one or two of those with takedowns. Yeah, I I don't really know what this fight's gonna look like when it really starts on the feet, but I think um, I think the interactions between them are gonna be a little awkward for both guys. But it'll be interesting nonetheless, kind of seeing how it goes. Because I don't think Ankalaev's fought a guy like this before. But I'm not too sure Jan has the other way around. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Jan has the luxury of being the better grappler against Adesanya. And he had to rely on that to win at the end. Uh, I mean, he was still winning rounds on the feet. But it was a, a nice thing to have on the back pocket. Uh, I wonder how he reacts when it's the other way around, mm-hmm. like he's on this fight. Yeah, we saw like Jan fall apart super hard against Glover when it got to the ground. I don't think Ankalaev is gonna have that success. No, but but he still has like very solid ground and pound to make sure he wins those rounds if he ends up on top position. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I don't really know what else to say. I think um. I don't want to rely upon the whole Jan is almost 40 kind of thing, but it is worth pointing out that fighters do tend to slow this down after this much time. Um, and Clive is only 30. True. Yeah, and um, I, I'm, that's not deciding my pick, but that's ultimately something we do have to consider. Um, so, yeah, I think you and I probably agree, and Clive by decision. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on the same train. All right. Um, I got, I think that covers it, so... All right, card. Uh, what are the can't miss things? Okay, uh, I think we did not sound very excited about the main event, but I I do think it's a very good fight. It's very interesting. It's yeah, just weird I, to talk I, about. It might be slow at first, but I think it will turn out to be a good fight at the end. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, well, I don't other think than... it won't be like geriatric Santos, honestly. Yeah. No. No. I don't think Jan will be content to... I mean, Rakish fight aside, I don't think he's going to be, like, happy about having a, that kind of fight like, for the title. I think these guys are going to push on this one. Uh, other than that, I mean, as much as I don't like to admit, Pimblet versus Gordon is interesting. Uh, but if you want to, like, actually have fun watch fights, uh, Poncinibio versus Morono is going to be fireworks. Uh, Till versus Duplessis might be horrible, but 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 it's probably going to be fun. Uh, Mitchell versus Topuria is the best fight of the card, I would say. And other than that, we have uh, Curtis versus Buckley. I would say is going to be fun. And Quarantillo versus Hernandez is the other one that you cannot yeah. miss. I think like De Silva Salvador might be a little fun for those of you who probably like. Some weird stylistic combination of Anderson Silva and Jerry Prohoshka. Uh but <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that. But he he's he can be a little entertaining. Probably not like there's not like too many high profile fights or fighters on this card. But it, it's not a bad but, card by any stretch. There's no, some good the, to go. The matchups are are mostly very good. Yeah, it's like a solid fight night quality, basically. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm watching anyway because I don't pay extra for pay-per-views. But but yeah, I mean, it's a bit lackluster for pay-per-view. For but it's a 
it's a good it's a good night of fights. Yep. All right. Um. Do we have anything else to say? Uh no. Just support us on Patreon. Uh, we're good. Yeah. Oh, I'll take this time to go ahead and say it. So, as of um a tentative date of uh January tenth to fifteenth. Um, I will no longer be producing long-form um, content for this website. Unfortunately, I might show up for some podcasts and work specifically with this man here from time to time, but I believe I don't have many other works left. So I just want to take this time to say, and I'll probably say this again anyways, for anyone who's tuned in to listen to these, for anyone who's supported my work, you guys have been incredible, and I really don't even know how else to express it, just... Thank you for this opportunity. It's been kind of a little weird, to be honest. I didn't expect it, but I've learned so much. And honestly, doing podcasts like these have been really, really enjoyable and enriching. Learning about fighters, even I don't like too much or even don't enjoy watching. But it's been a very enriching experience to improve my abilities. And hopefully, hopefully you haven't bet on my predictions. I don't even know what my track record is. <laughs> but this has been a great experience. Um... I still have two planned articles left. One of them I am trying desperately to get done. It's just over the most complicated fight ever. Um, And the other one will be a bit of a surprise, but they're both in tribute to a respective good friends of mine. um, And they should be coming out hopefully before then. So if I don't say it next time or future times, thank you all so much for listening. And it means a lot. Thank you. Take care now.